Hello and welcome to When Will It End, the movie podcast where the odds are ever in your favor <laughs> from the from the Hunger Games. How often do they say that? <laughs> they say it a bunch. They, they say it a fair deal. Now, the person who says it is friggin' Elizabeth Banks. And yes, let me address what you're surely about to say. She is from Pittsfield and we did go to the same high school and we did have the same acting teacher. So... All right. Well, there's six of my notes for the episode just taken out i love deleting notes charles is, is tearing pages out of a notebook and well he's light he's lighting them on fire and he's saying may the odds ever be in your favor notes josh was that fire real god uh in the movie god the amount of fucking time i haven't read these books but the amount of time spent on fire clothing is ridiculous well my, my problem is that and like look i understand that inevitably even for a two and a half hour long movie you know, whenever you adapt a novel, especially a, a young adult novel where you're free to kind of go crazy, so much detail is compressed out of the movie that I don't want to judge the books based on this because I similarly have not read them. And I would argue in the movie, both Lenny Kravitz's character and the significance of fire is sort of lost on me at this point in, in the series. Was uh, Lenny's, um, what is his name, Siren? Senny, I thought. Senny? I don't know. It's they called like, him Senny, I think. The, I mean, I'm coming at this movie hot. I actually like some of it, but like to to come up with sci-fi name Peta when everyone just it sounds like, oh, is that Peta? It's like it's it's ridiculous to have like fucking all these names to now remember Senna. Well, th- this movie starts with rules, which is uh, usually a a real gut check for me, where I'm like, oh boy, we're starting another series, and and the first thing we see are rules. Like, just... yeah, dude. <laughs> well, no, but also the the naming thing is odd to me because one, having Liam Hemsworth just be Gale or whatever <laughs> feels like a right. Weird... So that's the thing. <laughs> like, is just... why are some names the most batshit sci-fi loserdom ever? And then it's just like, oh hey, Gale, how you doing? Right. That sort of throws you off a little bit. Like it, it just feels it, it draws a lot of attention to the choices. And I think the best dystopian things you feel like you don't have to be constantly uh, questioning very specific aspects of it. But I want to just say this before we continue. I watched this with Allie, who's a big fan of these movies and books, and I did call PETA PETO the entire time. That was probably an unforeseen consequence to naming him PETA. Well, I thought it was funny to call him PETO the whole time. Yeah, it's great. I and mean, I was, was all by myself because I'm still fucking stuck in this basement. Charles COVID Watch 2K21. Two, is that what we're calling it? We're a week in and we're, we've, we've landed on 2K21? Charles COVID Watch 2K21. I think it's pretty good. I can see the Xbox uh, CD case. Would you still, do you still call those CDs? Nope. What do you call those? I think they're just called game discs. That sucks. I don't ass. know why. That sucks. Um, before we get too much further, um, my name is Charles. This is When Will It End? And we're in a new... It's always exciting to be in a new verse, I think. Like, we just spent five long weeks in the hard verse, which was contentious um we sort of got on each other's nerves a little bit halfway through i got locked in a basement um you know it's it was a strange time and we also forgot to do series mvps i don't know if we want to go back and just like sort of retroact no he's shaking his head we are out of the hard verse we will just you know what that series did not deserve a series MV- actually i'm gonna give mine okay i sure. know you just shook your head fine i can i can uh, holly the- holly Gennaro, she was physically in two movies, uh, sort of had a presence in one. I, actually, she had a presence in all of them because her children were in it 
Okay, I think okay, she okay. was poorly treated in the first movie and just sort of was the reason to watch. Anyway, that's that's my series MVP for the hard verse. We stand a Bonnie Bedelia. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Jeremy Irons because he was the horniest guy, I think. I don't. I think he was the horniest. Yeah. I think he ultimately was the horniest, and I stand a horny king. Okay, we've dealt with the Die Hard Great. verse. We and are yes, that, now that in was, the Hunger verse. Look, look, I'll be the first to say it. 2020 was kind of a dumpster fire. So to end it on a, a, a real world series, maybe that was part of why that was so hard. Because often we get to go on these flights of fancy. We're in, we're in Shrekland. We're with pirates in the Caribbean. Okay, mm-hmm. think about that. But with a, the Die Hard verse, we're in. Washington, D.C., the swamp, Moscow, where friggin' Mitch McConnell works, okay? Yeah, the frozen swamp, basically. Yeah, basically. So it's so nice to go to a new world, especially uh, one that apparently, according to trivia, was just lifted from those Great Depression photos, because I was watching the first part of this movie, and I was like, this looks just like those Great Depression photos, and it kind of looks like a Taylor Swift video. And then Allie was like, I think there's a Taylor Swift song on the soundtrack. And then in the credits, there was a Taylor Swift song. So You're nailing it, man. It was so nice to enter this exciting world of, of sad white people with the occasional person of color dropped in. Oh, you know? weird. Dude. Do you remember, like, we watch this now from the 2K21 uh, vision point, Vantage. Um, all I could see was, like, why is this movie so fucking white? But do you remember when this movie came out and the huge backlash for having a black woman or black girl play that character of Rue? Right. We live in such a nightmare hell it's world. Like, it's so, insane. like, the, it's the most racist. But then also, in an effort to make an inclusive gesture we get a random black woman who is just killed to raise the emotional stakes of the movie so abruptly that i was like ally she's like she comes back right and she's like nope that's it that's the whole character and then again the the other singular black teen in the movie who is like thanks for defending rue my <laughs> the other black character and then dies off screen is just like yeah, I, and also his, oh boy. they were playing off some really awful like racial stereotypes of him just being like a giant brute. Yeah, just uh, using his uh, just, like, his raw strength to crush a white woman. Yeah, not a not great. Uh, it's very funny, you know. You look at like our horrible political culture where everyone from the Dan Crenshaws of the world to the you know John Ossoffs of the world can like quote Avengers as like some sort of like. So you watch this movie and it's literally about oppressed rural white people who are who live in a post-industrialized authoritarian panopticon nightmare state under the control of very gay-coded decadent urban people and it does feel like you're watching like nazi propaganda right i mean am i crazy i mean i didn't quite pick up on i mean i don't know if it's I was more picking up like a metrosexual vibe, you know. Well, just the the, the androgyny, the over like, like it just seems like you have in the capital. There's all these fey men in wigs giggling, and then out there and in, in the real in real fucking. I had to look it up online. It's called like Pansem or something. Pancom. I can't. Uh, Pan Am, right? I'd have no idea. I don't know who fucking. Cares. Yeah, in it's... the world of Hunger Games, it's, it seems like it's very easy to extrapolate a deeply conservative agenda from this movie. Absolutely. That's one thing I've learned from the hard verse is to never assume that people have um, inclusive, generous ideals when they're making film. Um, this does like 
even if it, it I, you got, I got your text. It's like, wow, gay people are just rounding up people in the and killing them. It's like, I don't know if I'd go that far, but even if it's just That's like, not what I said verbatim. Don't just make up quotes. Uh, uh, are you sure? I'm pretty confident. That sounds like a Charlesism. We're both trying to cite our resources now. I, I can't find it, but anyway, you're, I, I didn't quite. I thought you're, there was like an actual scene where there was like one of the districts was entirely homosexual and they were just like what there's you... a scene where they just killed people hold wait, wait i don't read texts very clearly i'm so confused i'm looking up our text from last night yeah hunger right it was on messenger Can you record yeah. one app earlier in the day is on messenger i just want to make sure that i'm not okay i'm always here for tucci in a wig i stand by that it was right when right before you mentioned the the the, the terrible bartering system of trading away a squirrel for a roll yeah that was confusing to me gail buddy that squirrel is hard to get. I said gay city people oppressing honest whites. That's what that's what I said. Okay, great. Um, I didn't. I didn't really pick. I was kind of waiting. I didn't really pick up on the the gay part, but there's, I do there's agree. So there's many there's... men in ruffled collars, yes, with makeup, and I'm saying the coding is obvious that there's this like feminized cosmopolitanism. I don't think it's really the sexuality. It doesn't really matter, but it's, it is. It's like people in it's it's city folk the the people that like yeah they they make them a lampoon version of reality and then for some reason out in district 12 they're all dressed like they live out on the prairie right like everyone's wearing like uh, you know instagram trends of today of like prairie dresses and stuff right like i don't i just i find that any dystopia that wears its politicized nostalgia on the sleeve this obviously is really concerning to me absolutely so like 11 years after the fact and again i cannot speak to the books 11 years after the fact the imagery of this movie looks like it could be from an ad like that dan crenshaw would run about antifa taking over your 7-eleven in rural alabama or something yeah you know what would have been cooler is if like everyone just looked like why did i that fact that there was like a black district and a prairie district. Oh, and, and the black district uh, riots uh, when the black players die. And I did, I did say to Allie, and I got her to crack up. I want a huge pat in the back for this. Why are they rioting in their own district? Which I thought was really funny. Very good. Well, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I miss watching sort of boring movies with someone sitting next to me. Yeah. <sighs> You've been doing it for less than a week. Uh, trust me. It's been like, a little over a week. I know it week. sucks, but like you're you're going to get through this. A little over a week. Sorry. It's been a little over I'm a week. I'm sorry. So I, I did get um my day two test back yesterday, and that was negative. That's an encouraging sign. So that's encouraging. So I'm just waiting on day seven test, and then I can go back to normal life. Oh, boy. Back to life in a big city with a funny-looking hat and lipstick just applied on half my lips and long crazy eyelashes well man speaking of looks and we'll get to the capital later because that's a whole other thing the first image in this movie the very first image in this movie i do think all movies should open with just a shot of stanley tucci wearing (laughs) a 18th century powdered wig in like a weird french high french monarchal era gold jacket thing because you if you open a movie with tucci God, it sets such a good tone. And that's like, there's a long dip after that. We open with Tucci, which is so strong. And then we get a, a pretty, a long trough of pretty bad filmmaking before things uh, perk up again at the end. But man, I love to see a Tooch. Yeah, no, he honestly, everyone else for the first half of this movie is so boring and just like paint by numbers, two dimensional, like no, 
there's nothing to these people. But the Tooch, he was like, he's like a grounding point for the first half of this movie, where when he interviews someone, you you believe in him, you believe like everyone else sucks, but he just like provides a vibrancy that I absolutely was just like holding on to until they pop out of their tubes. Right, and it's it's funny how you can make something backfire like this where we're supposed to be like, oh, this obsequious host who's greasing the wheels of this violent totalitarian entertainment nightmare. And you're like, damn, uh, this guy's got a pretty good patter with guests, I have to say. Like, I would watch this for sure. Right. Yeah, no, and and I think that's what this movie did successfully. I think this movie is a great, like, Shrek 1 style thing where – you didn't even get a sense that they really spent much money on it. It looks like shit. It's a remarkably inexpensive blockbuster. I think this cost less than $80 million, which in Hollywood terms is very little to invest in a movie that would go on to make over $400 million. I mean, this this is not an Avengers. This is pretty cheap for what it was. Did you, when you were a kid, did you watch those like old PBS Narnia, like miniseries movies? No. It sort of had that vibe or just like they got together a cast they got together some pretty cheap like props guy and some bad costume designer and just was like testing the waters like we're gonna spend as little as possible on this first movie because we know we have at least two more and let's just see how it goes and then i i'm wondering if in the next movies we're just gonna get like a surge in money to make this thing actually look good well i mean this was a huge hit obviously and this you know launched j-law into superstardom so i'm i'm certain the the money will just dump in this this really cleaned up uh but let's talk about the problems of the first part of the movie the first part is that uh they do some major sins in my mind of of just setting really ludicrously low targets and then easily hitting them where katniss is like Look, my little adorable sister, nothing bad will ever happen to you. I promise. Nothing bad, conceivably. Not even this whole whole selection for the Death Games thing. Nothing bad could happen to you. It's all going to be cool. And then instantly, (laughs) the the first thing that happens is that she was completely wrong and her sister is called. I just was like, this is is so, like, silly. Like, what, what... why even go through the, the sweaty effort of setting up? We can just see she's a good sister, right? I don't like. I don't need. I just thought they 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 dress the table for that so elaborately, and it was like, well, of course that's gonna happen. Like, you know, I I understand it's like a young person's medium, but I mean, kids aren't that stupid. No, and uh, we're not kids either. So they got it. I mean, like Pixar man, follow the Pixar model. Have something for the kiddies. Mm. Just make sure I can sit there and laugh a little bit, too. And give the moms big old dumpers, just like Pixar. That was the problem. Katniss's mom, no dumper on that. <laughs> Come on. Not even one. Not even one dumper on that. You you nailed the problem with this whole first hour. And I actually, before the, they got out of the tube, I like paused it. And it is, half of this movie takes place before the Hunger Games. And I, I can see, so... Everyone compares this to Battle Royale because obviously it's very similar to Battle Royale. That movie just jumps in and gets us basically right to the action off the bat. And I totally understand. I would, I definitely back up the idea of spending half the time before the Hunger Games. But fuck, if you're going to have all these characters, actually set them up as characters instead of just giving us low-hanging fruit to clear the like emotion test to make sure that we understand what this person represents 
and who they are, but you don't actually get a depth to any of these characters. So then when they get launched into the Hunger Games, just like, who fucking gives a shit? Well, it just seemed like there were a lot of ways to have fun with the world building, and this often, like, just flopped back onto, again, it opens with text explaining the situation. We get lots of flashbacks. There's a fucking instructional video, which is like, come on. Can we, yes, can we pause? I want to pause right there, because those... Those two things especially, but, like, can you imagine this movie? Obviously, it's so hard. Like, you know, trailers ruin everything. We probably would not have had a way to see this movie without knowing the premise. But can you just imagine if rather than reading the rules to the Hunger Games and then seeing a scene where they get described what works, like, just seeing the prairie people all getting flustered and scared and talking about shit, and then suddenly they're at the Hunger Games, and as an audience, you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then you learn, like, oh, shit. It'd be like reading that um, Shirley Jackson story, but if like at the beginning, it's like, "Hey, every year they choose someone to stone to death." Now here it is. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, like they just sucked away so much power. Yeah, and it's funny because I think that sense of discovery in the books is probably what made it such a big hit. And in exactly, this, they're so hesitant to not they, they hedge their bets so much that it's it's pretty irritating. And we have to talk about the number one thing with the opening to this movie, and it all concerns director Gary Ross, who I will note does not direct any more of these movies after this. Gary Ross chooses to attempt a kind of Nolan-esque verite camera work in the beginning of this movie where we get lots and lots and lots of shaky cam. And I mean shaky cam of people sitting and doing stuff, shaky cam of houses, shaky – like it's not even action. We're just getting establishing shots of this world and in a – weird misguided effort to make it seem grittier he's just jostling the camera around like an old man like eats beans or something we're seeing it in the most nauseating conceivable manner and so in addition to the beginning being literally so gray just for the cheap oh the decadent city people's clothing pops effect which really one and you're done on that one um i found that really bizarre like the action of the movie was way less disorienting than just his weird table setting visually earlier in the film that was just abysmal. So th- that was the thing back then. I don't even know if I'd say Nolan. Nolan actually has some pretty clean camera work, except for like maybe the bat fight stuff, just to try to give it a sense of confusion. This was just how people shot movies in this, like for this like six year period. This was the big way, and I hated it then. And I hate it now. It's especially when it's bad. Like I understand like if you're using zooms effectively and stuff and like really just getting into that idea of having someone use the camera to have sort of a spontaneous reaction to what's going on. This it's like it was a robot being like now move camera three degrees north. And it's just like the even the, the artifice of the shaky. This is like one of the worst shaky cams I've ever seen. It's so calculated. It doesn't. It loses all the whole point of what shaky cam is supposed to represent. Now, let me blow your mind because I stumbled over a piece of trivia so crazy and in such a funny way that it blew. It, this whole thing came together so wonderfully. So, the night before me and Allie watched the Hunger Games, we watched Logan Lucky, and Logan Lucky, this 2017 Steven Soderbergh movie, is one of my favorite movies. I think it's aged wonderfully. And like many Soderbergh movies, it features some of the stillest camera work ever. The man loves nothing more than a camera that is not moving at all while things happen. Yeah. It is wonderful. I find it very stately and painterly, and I really enjoy it. Uh, it allows 
visual comedy to happen in a much easier way because you know that the, the negative space of the camera being completely static allows for every little gesture to be amplified, which is the opposite of this movie where tiny gestures are lost and swallowed in the vomitous shaky cam. Anyways, the the movie ends. We're watching the credits, listening to Taylor Swift, and you know I'm I'm snarking it up with my friends on the chat about Hunger Games. And Allie goes, huh, they thank Steve Soderbergh at the end of this movie. And I was like, what? That can't be the same Steven Soderbergh. What would Steven Soderbergh have to do with The Hunger Games? This, like, big budget, you know, YA adaptation. So I Google it. as like, why Steven Soderbergh was thanked. He was the second unit director on this movie. Weird. Steven Soderbergh shot all of the riot footage in District 11. Interesting. I guess he's friends with Gary Ross, and after he finished working on whatever he was doing at the time, uh, they asked uh, – he, he called in a favor and brought in Steven Soderbergh to work on you know some of the second unit stuff on The Hunger Games. So in addition to Jack Quaid being in both movies, which delighted me, the boys is Jack Quaid, of course, um, the fact that I had stumbled over this weird connection – uh, kind of blew my mind because what the fuck, right? Like, who would have guessed that? Well, I mean, he's he's known for doing big, like, he's a big movie director, too. So I guess it makes sense. No, he, no, big movie? Big movie. Soderbergh has never directed a movie. What's the biggest budget Soderbergh? What the fuck are you talking about? The Oceans movies? Oh, uh, but I mean, that's like, that's pretty. What do you mean? He's he's a classic one for you, one for me sort of guy. That's true. Let me see. He's done huge the, movies. Hold on. The budget, the budget for all four Oceans movies is less than $400 million. So do the math on that. That's not... Well, that's $100 million each. I'm, I'm I saying, did the math. It's, for, for the cast of that size, here's what I'm trying to say. Those are in a different realm than a massive YA blockbuster. There's no way... Those movies collectively aren't like the same scale as mm-hmm. these movies. I disagree. I completely disagree. Well, Especially for the era. You're wrong. You smell bad. And I don't like you. Like this was, that was like one of the biggest series of the aughts. But okay, regardless, I'm saying there's like a big, you wouldn't bring in Steven Soderbergh to direct a, a, a teen oriented dystopian franchise. I don't think anyone would knee jerk to that. Like a stylish genre worship series. Sure, that scans. That's the whole okay. deal. Yeah. I'm I saying just... it seems it's, – it's amusingly out of character, especially – to put this in context, this is not the early aughts. He had just finished no, saying the oceans, and was working on Magic movies. Mike when he did this. I know. I'm talking about the Hunger Games, Soderbergh's involvement here. Like a decade after that, he's between Contagion and Magic Mike, which are certainly not blockbusters. So it's just very funny to think about him slipping off of you know two really – you know, weird, interesting, cerebral, or deeply emotional movies to like shoot second unit on this fucking yeah. No, it's definitely you know, behemoth. It's definitely a weird, a, a weird. I mean, I didn't really feel any anything. I, I didn't. It's not like the you know when Quentin Tarantino is like the second director in Sin City, and that scene just like stands out. Like well, Soderbergh he, definitely. In the interview I read, he was going out of his way to not stand out. So yeah, he well he did a great job. Yeah, I think. The direction I'm, I'm sort of. I was. It seems like a Christopher Columbus sort of vibe from the Harry Potter movies. Where like, I'm very excited, um, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, getting into question territory. But like, the idea that Ross is a one and done for this franchise uh, leaves me with a lot of hope for what's to come. Because I think he has no. I haven't seen any. I don't even know if I've seen any of his other movies. But there's no real vision. This seems like a very, very much like a scared man. 
desperately trying to not fuck up rather than a creator trying to do something cool with an idea. I I totally agree because I feel like the world of this movie is very poorly sketched physically. And like, I think about compared to uh, maze runner, which obviously we are huge maze runner fans. That world feels like weirdly like very vivid and very well inhabited. And I can kind of go back and visit it and very happily. This movie feels like it goes from, you know, a, a, a Hollywood Wild West plywood old coal mining town to like a generic just slick dystopian city to the woods. Like it really doesn't have this texture to it. And I like the woods. That was my favorite wo- texture. The woods are fine. Uh, but the, the moss was good. Great moss in this movie. Oh, um, dude. You got to rewatch this. If you're not, if you're not fucking gushing about the woods as the best texture, I'm saying it's a it's a low bar. But the woods were the best part, sure. Um, but uh, what what struck me was that the movie latches onto its best idea towards the end of the movie about mediatization and Katniss and the films as a the films the game excuse me as a media product and her behavior as someone on camera like that aspect of the plot is easily the most interesting and the best explored and i thought it was very interesting that like those concepts are so much more interesting than a movie about teens murdering each other (laughs) like that part at the end about like well what does it mean to become observed and to play yourself on television and to you know, p- perform to survive. Like that was way more interesting than anything else in the movie. So you're right. I think it ends on its best foot after a lot of really shaky uh, work that I really thought I was going to hate this. And now like I agree. I'm pretty excited about this because it, it, it's, it's, it's launching forward from a concept that I actually want to like explore. Yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time sort of dunking on this, this movie. I do think there's some, I think there's some really good stuff in this. And I think overall it's, barely a passable movie but the use of sound in this movie well the visuals is like a a vomitous nightmare the scenes where they decide to edit out diegetic sound and replace it with music or noises whatever like the scene where they all come out of the tube and then they're like you hear the weird nerd the collection of nerds that they had running the show the casting there is you would never hire Maybe you would, Josh. Would you hire someone with a very bad voice to be the guy to to announce everything? Well, that was confusing because they seemed to be like aggressively modulating his voice, right? But like in the room, so I'm not sure. But then when you like, <laughs> they got close to him and it was just like eighteen, seventeen. This is the it was thing just... about like some Hollywood filmmakers; they're way more interested in like the the Truman show part of these movies, where they're like, but imagine the the people who obviously are just me like fantasizing but i wish i could make a movie with future technology where i just rubbed a table or something yeah like, there's so much attention and care brought to the geekery that like is completely i mean like, i i feel like there's a much simpler less less intensive way of showing how slick this media product is in this world but like it's funny how they delight in that <laughs> yeah we we talked um last episode about or no i guess it was the it was the bonus episode about um how like that the era of like holograms and how when like they figured out CGI a little better, like everything was always in a hologram for a long time. And this like was one of those movies um, where they fucking whoever did the CGI work made sure everything in that room was some form of non-physical 
interaction method. Well, I was just thinking about how on set it's like probably a bunch of people sitting in a green box, just like rubbing green tables and like how funny that must be. Dude, I hope there's a, I don't know. That sounds really hot. Rubbing green tables. Are they wearing like green suits too? With those no, they're wearing their smocks. They're wearing their future smocks. Fuck. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'll still check it out. Future smocks. The, that scene where they come out of tubes, the countdown is in very vocal. And then suddenly at like four, all audio cuts out. Katniss, like that scene I thought was really effective. And whenever all the little kids get murdered and it's just like a weird bloodbath, it it brought forward a visceral filmmaking that actually like matched the style, which I thought that shaky cam work that really worked. The lack of audio worked. The it, it that scene was great. It actually got me into the movie like no other scene did at that point. And then I quickly got right back out again until the very end. Well, what you're observing is that moments of interiority to Katniss are well expressed. But yeah, they do that a lot. Right. Um, the, the, like the use of sound is probably the best part of this movie. Right. And, and in my mind, that would have been more effective if it was if it was couched in less weirdly visceral filmmaking around it. Oh, absolutely. Because because you're right. Like you know when when we're just jiggling around other parts of that world, you're like, why are we, we're the audience. We're not. So like when, when the, those, the moment you're identifying, it's like we're in Katniss's experience. That makes sense. And I think it would have been even more effective. Yeah. If it was like uh, in, in stronger contrast to the rest of the movie. Um, that, let me ask you this. I felt like that countdown started pretty high. Dude, I, forty. if someone 40? had been sitting next to me, and I hadn't been all by myself. I would have been like, why are they starting at seemingly 60? Yeah, that's a long countdown. I mean, honestly, Josh, now that you mention it, I did. I thought about it as like being weird, but can you imagine you pop out of a tube, okay? There's a bunch of other tubers right next to you, and they're all eyeing those prizes. That's them popping out of tubes. We need a few more then. There's 24 of them. Was that PETA? Um... I think as a psychological test, as having 60, to have to wait for, for to go from 60 sounds awful. Like if it were just like a three or a 10, you'd be like, all right, all right, I'm going on three. And then suddenly it's like, oh, wait, I have to wait another 50 seconds. And at that point, PETA is like, uh, this sucks. And he just sprints off into the woods like a coward. And uh, Katniss grabs a bag of rope. She doesn't get that that prize that we want her to have, the bow and arrow. That is the ugliest bow and arrow set I think I've ever seen. I think in general, much of the design in this movie I found to be quite ugly, especially in contrast to the logical comparison, uh, Maze Runner, oh, where like jackets. everyone's like the, this. Well, one the that light outerwear, the capitals like day glow French, whatever. Like I really hated all of those looks. And I get they're supposed to be ugly, but they're like not it's not clever ugly like watch the favorite for example i think the way that nicholas holt's character is presented is that wonderful mix of like richly textured like garish ugliness that really works this movie felt very stagey which was not as good and yeah also yeah everyone's like wearing like athleisure stuff and trying to chase down chrome stuff it just looks like shit like right a chrome bow and arrow set what the fuck yeah not cool yeah and all the spears and shit it all it it did it looked like they just didn't want to quite spend the money, not even on the money on the physical stuff, but they just didn't want to hire people that would actually produce good work yet. I think they knew everyone was going to see this one. They kept the costs down, and hopefully they saved some money for the next one to actually like 
really make the themes that they're establishing. Uh, the last fucking line in this movie is, is it the last line where she's like, well, I guess we just have to forget. And he's like, I don't want to forget. And like, that's awesome. Having two teenagers coming back on a train from just killing a bunch of people or surviving a death, a death battle to now have to like figure out how to move forward. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think also moving forward, I think the idea of her pretending to be in love in public, well, it crushes the soul of handsome Gail, who's a real piece. Oh. Gail is a piece. The Hemsworth family, mama mia. I was thinking that he's younger than me and he deserves every success that he has. Yeah, he's a piece. He's... Good for you, Gail. Um, I actually didn't even recognize him with the brown hair. If I, it took me a minute to be like, oh, that's Liam Hemsworth. I really, I really like where the series is headed. I'm going to ask, I'm going to answer the question. Now I'm definitely not asking when will it end. I think, um, one thing having children fight each other is a rare move because most of what we're propagandized to think about with war is that soldiers are like in their 30s and most of the time they're teenagers so like really having to watch kids fight each other like it really it does like they have to pretend to to print and use their emotions which then actually fucks up their emotions the trauma that's laced in this movie is like i think if they do it well is going to set up a really successful franchise about fucking just the child wars, which is every war. Every war is a child well, war. Well, here's my question. Like, did they have to do the games again? Is that what happened? Like, they got to they do it again? So obviously not. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way that this is going to be like... It's, I think it's going to be sort of like the Maze Runner series where it starts off at a very clear, like, they're in a fucking maze, okay? Got to get out of the maze. The sequel can't be, oh, you're back in the maze again. It has to it has to get bigger in some way. So it, it's going to be some form of, I don't know. I think I remember that there's just like a rebellion, but I don't really remember very much. Well, I know in the end from seeing trailers, they seem to attack the Capitol, which, I mean, I don't think that's a spoiler. Like how else conceivably would this end? But yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're entering... Uh, what two movies now where I truly have no idea what's going to happen and I know that Philip Seymour Hoffman is coming so yeah I'm not asking when will it end are you kidding me yeah I got to my boy Philly now let me ask you this um, casting wise I have never been more conflicted about a Woody Harrelson performance than this movie where you see Woody you get excited as you always do Just, if you're following our Patreon we're discussing Woody in the Now You See Me movies where uh, he is transcendent, I would argue, especially in the second one, which we'll get to later on. But I love Woody. I really do. He's I so think... good in so many things, especially in the last 20 years. Um, yeah. I did not like his performance in this movie. I So he's one of those actors that he reminds me a lot of like Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, like where he doesn't ever try to talk in a different way than what he normally sounds like. And I think that might have been his big mistake is that he sort of attempts to talk different in this movie. And he just sound he ends up sounding weird. It sounds like he didn't really nail the character. And also his intro of like, this fucked up guy's drunk, swaggering. Like, I found that to be very sweaty. And like, especially him pounding the Gatorade liquids being like, oh, I friggin' love booze. I was like, all right. Like, we can maybe... Josh, I'm going to... I'm going to leave Woody alone. And based on how every other character was established in this movie, I'm going to 
go out that he did the best he could with the material <laughs> that he was given. You're, you're probably right. You're probably right. If you watch the whole opening, like the Lenny, Lenny, what was his character name? I already forgot. Oh, uh, Sinny? Senna? Sinny? No, Sinna. Yeah, Sinna. He's supposed to be like the big, you know, everyone, everyone is being cruel to Katniss, including our Woody, who's just a, a drunken, you know, he's just, he's just doesn't have any, he's fake. You know? Well, no, no. T- to be fair, nothing is cooler than telling two teenagers that they're just going to die. Be like, oh, I'm not going to help you. You're just literally about to die. That was funny. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Lenny's character is he's supposed to be nice, and like when she's about to get tubed, they have this like really big hug, and which is completely unearned. Like, you don't get any sense that, that Lenny's character is anything more than the f- stand-in for person that treats Katniss nice for 10 no, minutes. No, exactly. Like, his character presented so many questions where it's like Lenny Kravitz playing this fashion designer guy whose role in the organization is, like, does he just work for their district or something? Is he part of the games? Like, what is his relationship with District 12? Uh, why did, you know, it seems like he makes pretty aggressive choices about, you know, how... The, the heroine of the films presents herself like he's a pretty monumental plot device. And yet I literally know nothing about the dude. And I agree with you. It makes the emotional things feel unearned because I'm like, look, I get that it's Lenny Kravitz. Everyone loves Lenny Kravitz. Everyone knows that he's packing a monster python that once literally burst out of his pants on stage. We've all seen that thing. It's a horse dick. It's fucking holy shit. The Hunger Games, the donger hangs. Um, good, thing, good thing I came in hungry. Yeah, exactly. Because you're about to get a little sausage. So, yeah, I, that, that was frustrating to me. Yeah, he, he reminds me a lot of... Uh, man, I keep going back to Harry Potter. I guess it makes sense, though. Um, who's the fucking serious Black? Is that his, like, new uncle or something? That's Gary Oldman. Godfather. He's the guy who is complicated. But no, is that the is that the guy that's like, Oh, orphan boy, you actually got someone to love. Ser- is that serious? I can't that fucking is, like, remember who do I, what I look anyway, like. Anyway, it's just like this fake bullshit. You like have a story about dumb, some dumb orphan, and then he magically gets a family member, and just like that right there, J.K. and the crew were just like, I don't need to make this character or anything. He just is so loaded with information that I just have to emotionally respond to. The stakes aren't there. Nothing is earned when you just have like a character come in and be like, oh, hey, I'm the nice person. I'm going to treat you nicely while everyone else treats you like shit. And then they, like, it just doesn't, nothing lands for the first hour of this movie, which is such a, this movie is two a, and a half a hours long. It's a drag. Yeah. This could have been a 90. This could have been a fucking tight 90. Okay. It, well, it definitely feels like there's like most of the opening. At least half an hour. Like, I mean, you know, maybe if cutting a full hour out is a lot to ask, but like, man, this could have been half an hour shorter. Um, well, because they spend so much time on this like sponsorship and you have to look good and then it like doesn't actually amount to anything so like the scene where they're getting rated numbers I, you have to help me out here like district three gets a six and like they go through every fucking person in the in the games and like Katniss gets an 11 out of 12 well th- that's my thing like, like if wait you we just, spent five minutes on this if you just ratcheted up the storytelling visually we wouldn't need any of these scenes. Like it, it wouldn't be that hard to communicate these ideas. Um, also, there's a lot of 
directors who have excelled at the art of montage. And this movie, I thought, weirdly needed more montages, which I almost never say. Right. Where it's like, we can get through this, the training, the this, the that. Like, not all of this requires – like, there, I think there's this thing with adaptations where – Especially in the era we live in now where fan culture is a waking nightmare and we live in hell, et cetera. Uh, there's this like fear of deviating from very specific components of source texts for fear of like a fan backlash. And instead what you get is like a much less inspired, much less interesting adaptation because many of the best adaptations feature – Pretty dramatic rewrites. You have uh, to. The Shining is the most obvious example, but like, yeah, like they're, they're, you're not making, you're not just making the book again. You're making a film. It has to really exist on its own. And I wonder if someone with a more adventurous sense of the the story. And again, I think Susan Collins is, is credited with uh, a story writing credit. So I'm not sure if it was like maybe just the, the originator being too close to the adaptation. But this really could have let go of so many details that just give us so little. You know. Yeah, this this is um, rife with paying attention to the wrong thing. This this should have. I mean, I, I I don't know if the same effect with Battle Royale would have worked here. Like, if it had been basically, you know, they choose the kids and then they're fucking up a tube. But I think the problem is that they probably realize this too, where you can spend a hundred pages in a book describing kids like surviving on an island and then maybe killing each other every once in a while. If you're not going to make it like a hard R or you're not going to like actually spend time like relishing in the violence to show how fucking sick it is, not sick in a good way, sick in a, like how disgusting it is. Then you don't have an hour's worth of like a movie's worth of material, just having these kids on the Island killing each other. Well, then also so then you're stuck with tracker jackers. You're oh stuck God. with the, Pug bears, CGI you're stuck dogs, with shit. Yeah. That... <laughs> uh, well, then also, so those details get lavished over, and yet Cato, who at the beginning is just like big fucking chungus blonde murder Aryan guy, at the end is actually like starts dropping interesting truth bombs where he's like, "I'm gonna die anyways. This is all they want." And where it's like, "Oh, well, there's all this complexity to Cato." We we realize in the last seconds of his life that. Wouldn't it have been more interesting to spend more time on the antagon- the, the direct antagonist? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, the system is the broader enemy, obviously. But, like, you know, that felt really frustrating where it's like we get nothing other than Big Chungus mad up until the very end where he's like, is it not our job to dance for them? Are they not entertained? And you're like, there must be a middle part to this character that would have made him compelling. Yep. And instead, he's just used in, in, in such a convenient manner – that again, yeah, they, they lavish detail over the mecha wasps or whatever, which is Josh. Come on, tracker jackers. Okay. So, what did you laugh at the most in this movie? There was one moment in this movie where I I burst out laughing harder than I've ever laughed before. Uh, that's only barely hyperbole, which for me I know doesn't go very far. What part? The shot of Peta's face in the camouflage, <laughs> where Peta is like that a rock. That was so good. I <laughs> lost my mind. That He's was the rock. funniest thing I've ever seen. Sad rock Peta. Holy <laughs> shit! I oh, I was if this, if this had been back in the meme times, this, that would have been memed to fuck. Sad rock Peta. Liter- How did literally, he do it? He's brilliant. The funniest thing we've watched for this podcast was just that shot of that dude <laughs> as a living rock. I loved that but i think that's like if if this sort of this the hunger games brings the person to their purest sense of themselves like katniss becomes uh archer warrior and um rue becomes spear holder through the chest sad rock pita is like 
they he is fucking perfect casting fucking sad boy fuck boy piece of shit pita just like what else could he be other than a just so, sad pa- so pathetic it was hysterical <laughs> so let me ask you this i i was so confused what the fuck happened with the the pig bread what the fuck was this flashback so they, they had a brief flashback where um, Peter's just you know Peter sucks throwing out the bread, and I hope that they really like lean into the sucking of Peter because he is like he is he is definitely a soft boy, but in like a gaslighty sort of way. He's every interaction he has with Katniss is like really shitty, but I I hope that that's on purpose. I hope that it's actually like another depth to the ways in which you are forced to like love people just because they're nearby. I, I'm real. I'm excited for what he becomes because basically, uh, when they were kids, he's been like spying on her his entire fucking life, and then there's a scene where he just feeds her bread, but rather than like giving her bread, he just like throws it out in the rain or something. But this is it was a really is, weird detail. Okay. This is the kind of storytelling that drives me crazy, where they do so much exposition, and yet this one seemingly crucial right flashback they choose to portion out to us in very specific chunks that seem to completely change the tone of the flashback and the events of the flashback all visually so you're left being like okay she's mad at PETA because when she was just starving in the rain as one does uh, outside of a bakery hey man it's district 12 first we see him giving the pigs bread but not her bread then we see his mom yelling at him or something and giving the pigs bread and then we see him give her one of the loaves of burnt bread. I am I missing something? What is the cumulative? I don't know, man. I, why was she mad at him? What is the takeaway? I was just at a loss. And this is the problem with this movie. Well, right, because like she's clearly a strong hunter person, but yet in this one flashback is like starving in the rain in the mud. Though we've seen her house, like I, I don't understand why they 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 labor over tracker jackers, and yet this essential emotional foundation to the central characters in the movie is just used like a fucking piece of putty. I, I'm just perplexed by that decision. Right. So this is this is the problem. You have what seems to be a love triangle forming between maybe not a love triangle, but like a I don't know what that's called when you have two men interested in the same woman and she's not a love triangle but a triangle has a third side this is more like a love there's angle. two men and a woman that's a triangle yeah but the men aren't involved together well, she has complex women. relationships with each other and he feel they feel resentful towards each other so it's it's the same general idea okay we got ourselves a classic triangle um how about rather than spending the first hour of the movie doing numb dumb bullshit you have like a half an hour of the three people that are going to be your main characters for the rest of the franchise interacting so that rather than having some very shitty flashback, you're like, wait, what the fuck was that? You actually can see, rather than through like loaded pig language, you can just like have the three characters interact with each other. Right. And not have yeah. it be some fucking big secret. Right. And that's why like in other movies would use like a job or a school or some device to get these people in the same room to establish things so you don't have to do these bizarre flashbacks. We already have that. We have districts. That's not, but, they, but they don't take advantage of that. They don't. So we're left with like this emotional storytelling. I just don't understand it. I don't know who that's for. I, I'm 30, and yes, I have you know really ravaged my brain over the last few decades, but I couldn't really discern what they were trying to say about I just thought that was bizarre and irritating. No good. Yeah, it was bad. And then every other interaction he has with her is like, just like basically gaslighting her to do what he wants her to do. 
Well, t- to be fair, the best part, the part of the movie that works the best is like her, him unconsciously thinking that this fantasy that he's expressed is becoming real before his very eyes when she's just trying to, you know, she's like forced into pretending to portray this thing that is completely illusory just to, you know, save her family. Like, that's amazing. That's really good. Yeah. So, like, if if, if they really, man, if, if that's the tone. That's what I'm hoping. Ooh, that's good. I'm hoping that he doesn't know that she doesn't care about him in a way. And then Gail thinks that she does in this whole, like, series, this whole triangle. Man, I'm really on board for the triangle now. Uh, I think this is this is going to be good. If they focus on the triangle and, like, stop focusing on all the fucking rules of the world, I'm I'm very excited for the rest of this franchise. Yeah. So, look, it's we're... We're on the same page. We're not asking when it will end. A rocky start to a series. But looking up, um, this may be an obvious question, but Charles, who is your MVP for The Hunger Games, the 2012 Gary Ross production, The Hunger Games? Mm, there, I mean, I, I might give it to Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's not in this movie. Just because I know he's coming. He's not in this but movie. He, so his presence was really There's, good It's not a presence. Me. Of him in the oh, movie. Okay, okay. Can't give it to the... It's not the most valuable I presence. I think it feels like a stretch. Yeah. I mean, the obvious answer is the Tooch. But I, I don't know that I want to give the obvious answer. Because while he was very helpful... No, never mind. Stanley... Stan, it's got to go to the Tooch. He, like, carried me through the entire movie. This movie would have completely bombed because I wouldn't have even cared about what happened in the first half of this movie without him. Yeah. Going for the tooch. You know, uh, sometimes I like to differentiate my MVP pick to make sure that we're being as inclusive and thoughtful and open as possible to the many talented people who portray all these delightful characters in any given movie. Because, you know, in a way, isn't being an actor the – you just get to play. You know, it's the best job in the world. Uh, But it's definitely the tooch. Are you kidding me? I would crawl through fire for the tooch. The tooch kicks so much ass. He's the kind of guy who, even in this role, is more interesting than everything else in the movie. Yep. And I would just I want to learn more about Caesar and how he got to the top of broadcasting in the Capitol, and you know what his perfect Sunday is. I mean, she's he's basically the um, Sharpay of this series. Absolutely, absolutely. Where you're like, look, he's clearly a bitch. <laughs> he's clearly a little saucy. <laughs> But I want to know more. What's the Caesar story? There better be a Caesar spinoff. Or like, right. if there's like a graphic novel about the rise of Caesar, um, uh, consider me interested. Sign me up. Just interested? Not gonna, you're going to sign up, or you're just you're just interested? Fully interested. Oh, so um, here's some fun trivia from the movie that I thought was very interesting. That uh, is, Wes Bentley actually grew his beard hair like that to play. Sick. The and by the way, Wes Bentley, you are a poor man's Ashton Kutcher. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really? Someone had to say it. I kept being like, "Is that like a weirdly angular Ashton Kutcher?" It's not. I wasn't getting it, but I. I mean, I guess once you mentioned the angular part, yeah, I see it. I'm just hooked on the Kutch. Um, while horsing around on set, J Law kicked Josh Hutcherson so hard that it knocked him out and gave him a concussion, which is. <laughs> So sick. That's great. That's going to be really good material for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, um, the, before we move too far away, I I want to talk a little bit more about the ending just because it sort of mirrors the beginning. This movie was so afraid of actually doing something. It's sort of, again, I think Harry Potter really influenced the way young adult worked where it's like, 
they were so focused on like having a world for the people to like in the same way that Harry's a dumb orphan and then he gets to go to Hogwarts. They like use that same idea to have Katniss go to the city. And then we spend way too much time just like being in the city. And then when they get to the island or it's not even an island, it's just like some weird hologram place. They're so afraid of actually having characters kill people other than the ones that they need to. They have to invent all sorts of like tracker jackers and and big dog bear creatures. And then nothing is substantial. And I what I really am hoping for is there's some grit coming where we actually get to see the themes that I want explored, explored through Katniss actually having to make hard choices rather than having to make easy choices. Well, I mean, I think that she makes increasingly hard choices as it goes on, which I like about it. But I, I hear you. What I was most shocked by was, again, unlike Maze Runner, where life inside the maze is fascinating and very detailed and really lived in. Right. We really, like, we're, we're kind of in the actual Hunger Games for a weirdly small amount of the movie or very little actually happens. And I was just... Well, I think it's because they don't know what to do with it. Right. You can't, in a, in a PG, whatever rated movie about kids killing each other, if you're not going to fucking lean into that, you're going to have scenes where fire happens and where she has to like put ointment on her leg. And it's like, they made it so much like a, like a bad survivor episode. Right. It's like, you just get to watch the mundanity of the world, but it's not, you don't get to sit in it long enough for it to actually land. It's just like the beginning, just not quite working. But it has the it has the formula to work very well once they hopefully get a new team in there and figure out what this world's actually all about. Yeah, in the book there are uh, dogs in it apparently. But like, so that was the thing is like, so they genetically coded mega wasps dogs. Oh, and that yeah, mega wasps, big dogs. Like, does, does, can they just? How does it work? Do you think? Do they? They, they wave their arm on their little table and it goes on the big table. Does it poof into existence? Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like, it just... Why? In a good adaptation, you'd be like, you know what? They're just wasps. We don't need to do a whole thing about wasps here. It can just be like... Certainly don't fine. call tracker jackers. That's Please. clearly distractingly fucking stupid. And then with the like, yeah, conjuring up question mark dogs out of nothingness. Like, why... Are we taking the long walk on things? Press a button, dogs come out. I don't know. It's it, I don't need to. I don't. I don't need to overanalyze or this. Just have them be there to begin the like. I think the other thing was that they didn't establish an end game for this very well. So like we didn't. If you're going to talk about needing rules, like I need to know how they get people to just like not do anything. Like, like Battle Royale is a good ex- Battle Royale is a great example of them being like, you got these collars on your head. If you don't, and we have hot spots on the board, if you don't move around, you die. And if you're not the only one standing at the end, you all die. And it was like the stakes are real and you understood their motivations here. It's like, why don't they just all just like hang out well, and wait for it to be over? That's the other thing. It's like, okay, she she gets too close to the edge. What does that mean? What are the stakes of that? We don't know. She gets driven by fire. So some of them get together in an alliance. We don't really understand the terms of that alliance or what their plan is, which seems very interesting. Um, there's just like so many interesting like blank spots so like why not spend less time establishing sad white people live on prairie and just get to like 
the interesting part of the movie. So, look, I'm happy it's a franchise because you're right. Like, I think they they tap into a narrative that I'm excited about and I want to see them fill in some of these questions that are, you know, because they've presented an interesting thing. Who doesn't imagine a, an elaborate carnival of death where teenagers, you know, flay each other? That sounds awesome. Um, but, yeah, just there's so many weird – some things are belabored. Some things are completely ignored. Very irritating. Very weird. I gave this ultimately like two stars on Letterboxd and I was like, it's no Maze Runner because like it's not bad. It's just like you've got this – you bought this really cool real estate and then developed it in the strangest way that's not satisfying and yet interesting. It's a a frustrating movie. Yeah. Yeah. But we're uh, we're, we're, – I'm – I got them all out of the library. Wow. On Blu-ray, Amy was kind enough to go to the library for me while I was, uh, well, I'm just, just sitting here waiting for a test result. She loves you. She sure does. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to pop in that, that uh, it's on a game disc at this point. That's a that's a Blu-ray disc. and going to pop that in there. Maybe, uh, uh, not today, because I'll forget about it before we record again. So now, I wanted to share this trivia with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this I found very interesting. Uh, fans, pull out a pen. A capital mentioned in the film, as well as in the original novel, is a reference to actual Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Are you fucking kidding me? Where the U.S. Me? Congress is located. Hold on. I, huge if true. Where the, Are you? Where the U.S. Congress what? is located. Hold on. Let me finish. As a symbol of global political power. Okay. Can I go now? Please. Are you fucking kidding me? I would never joke about this. IMDb trivia? No. This is important. Wait. So this is all... Uh, wait. 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 This book is a direct assault on democracy, on, America? on uh, the American values that we hold dear. Interestingly, I was reading more trivia. Suzanne Collins, who wrote the books, was apparently inspired by watching both reality TV and footage of the Iraq War. I never would have guessed. If you'd had to give me two things that this movie was based on, never would never even cross my mind. That's really cool. I'm sh- I should have to watch it again, I guess. Can we be real? I would definitely watch the hunger games if i lived in the capital of like, course you would I would be all over the wikipedia it seems like you know it's the thing where you're like look the early seasons are a little you know they're, they're trying to get the tone but when they really get into it it's it gets really good it's i mean what's there not to love you got teams actually. they're killing each other there's cyber dogs and tracker jackers i mean it's got it all yeah see here's the problem with the tracker jackers like as a broader criticism of this world building if you introduce that one kind of the bug is like a weird genetic monstrosity creation doesn't that raise questions about every other single thing in the entire world of the hunger games it's like, bad it, it, it opens a door that is very distracting it's shit and it's all because they're it's just they're too afraid to have katniss kill anyone so yeah like ooh, it's night berries or something <laughs> <laughs> like, and I really like sleepy that time berries. She actually ends up, even though it's like more of a generous act to put him out of his misery. I do think that that final act of hers of shooting Cato or whatever his name was uh, shows that she's she's hungry now. She's ready for the games. She's got the little bib. She stuck it down her little shirt front, mm. grabbed her fork and knife, and says, "I'm ready. I'm hungry." Well, and me too. I'm hungry as well, and I think it's time to close out with and say so we're both excited for uh, the second installment, Catching Fire. And I'll just close out in one more cool piece of uh, reception to this movie. In addition to the racism, people thought Jennifer Lawrence was too fat. We live in a beautiful world. <laughs> I really hope that someone 
ends America? Is that come? Does that make sense? Like stops it? It's 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 like happening any year now. Like makes it so that it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, hey, Suzanne Collins. Let's call her up. She seems to hate this country. Yeah. Maybe she's. She, maybe, she, maybe we can get her on board to hey, to do something. Maybe she should move to communist China. That's the show this week. Tune in next week where the hunger and the games continue. And Charles, I hope I then will know that you are safe and sound and not facing a tracker jacker of your own in your bloodstream. Thanks. Thanks.